0: Listening to the Warrior Priest Podcast. And this is the Warrior Priest Podcast, Midweek Debrief, number 46. And I'm the Warrior Priest, Donovan Riley. First, apologies for the tardiness of this podcast. This week has been busy, and there's been a lot of things and people that have demanded my time, not least of which is dealing with medical bills and insurance companies and scheduling my operation next week and pre-op appointments and all that goes with that. So I apologize for that. But we are here, so let us make the best of the day. Likewise, before I get into the debrief, just a reminder that I have t-shirts and stickers available. The stickers are $2 plus shipping and handling. T-shirts are $25 plus shipping and handling. If you order two shirts, I will ship it for free. Otherwise, if you would like to help me help the podcast and help me continue to develop the podcast, um, acquire resources to improve the podcast, uh, continue to do my research for the podcast and the episodes, you can go to Anchor FM, Warrior Priest Podcast, and hit the sponsor button. And as I said before Christmas, if you sponsor the show, I will send you a t-shirt and a sticker. So if you have chosen to support the show financially uh, since I made that first announcement and I don't have your address, your mailing address, please contact me on Instagram. That's the easiest way to get a hold of me. You can DM me on Instagram, or you can email me through the Warrior Priest Podcast. And just let me know, hey, I signed up. I'm financially sponsoring the show. Great show. Thanks for all that you do with the content you put out. And here's my mailing address. So could you send me a t-shirt? Here's the size. Send me a sticker. And I will get that off to you as soon as I can. Otherwise, let's get into the debrief. Today is the day after Congress and the Senate met to debate, if you want to call it that, the Electoral College votes. And it's January 7th, 2021. Most of you listening to this are aware of the decision that Joe Biden will be inaugurated as President of the United States on January 20th. There is a lot that I could discuss around and regarding the election the past couple of months since the election. What happened at the Capitol yesterday, people getting into the building, how they were let into the building, that some of them may have been agent provocateurs, members of Antifa that was confirmed by Reuters and the Associated Press, other news outlets. But all that aside, for me, that is all a distraction. And the plan from the very beginning has been to keep us distracted so that we are not focused on the m- real matters, the things that matter most, that we have been duped, and that there has been two narratives going on in this country, not just for the past year or four years, but for decades, for five or six generations at least. And as a consequence, in my opinion, the three most significant topics that we must address this year in 2021. One, that a successful political coup was staged in this country and that the Democratic Party, big tech, the mainstream media, the intelligence community were all involved. We watched it play out in real time. We watched as law and order was allowed to slip away and was applied inequitably, depending on what person or what group was being confronted by law enforcement, or by the media, or by big tech. Yeah, we watched it. And as far as I'm concerned, especially considering the Supreme Court's decision about the Texas lawsuit, regardless of what side of the election you're on or how you voted, I listened to several lawyers review the Texas lawsuit. And even those who were politically pro-Democrat, pro-confirm the election results said the Texas case had a legitimate uh, complaint and should have gone before the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court then, according to those lawyers and experts, abdicated their authority. They annihilated the Constitution and themselves should Biden follow through on his promises to load the court and create new seats. That would mean then that from here on out, every sitting president will create more seats on the Supreme Court. They will be political appointees. The Supreme Court will be explicitly and blatantly a political arm of whatever administration is in the White House. So the Supreme Court, in one decision, annihilated the Constitution, annihilated its authority. Because according to uh, ear witness reports, the argument was, too many riots. We don't want to start more riots. We don't want to set this kind of precedent. The Supreme Court justices, except for two dissenting votes, proved that they are cowards, in my opinion, just as the Congress and Senate yesterday proved that they are all cowards. The same people that have no hesitation sending our sons and daughters to foreign lands to fight and die, hid under their chairs and ran like cowards. Not because there were armed gunmen storming the Capitol building, not because there were terrorists with vest bombs, threatening to blow themselves up in the House or in the Senate, but because some people were let into the building by police and allowed to run free. We are governed by cowards, in my opinion. We are governed by men and women who have little to no integrity. They have no moral compass and they are available to be bought by the highest bidder, which in this case is the Communist Chinese Party. Because behind this political coup, behind big tech, behind the mainstream media, behind these politicians, both Republican and Democrat, by the way, is the Chinese Communist Party. There is a paper trail of financial transactions a mile long and a mile deep. The Chinese Communist Party has been paying mainstream media corporations to run positive articles and segments about the Communist Party. Big tech will censor people who are critical of the Chinese Communist Party. The Chinese Communist Party has paid athletes and celebrities to shill for them, such as LeBron James, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and others. That our society in the United States is no longer united because of this political coup, because of the abdication of the rule of law, because of the annihilation of the Constitution by the Supreme Court, by the flaunting of law by legislators. And so we've witnessed a political coup. The communist Chinese party and their campaign to spread communism over the face of the globe has proceeded almost unabetted because COVID has been used as cover to smuggle communism into the West, especially through our phones. Communist Chinese party finally figured it out without firing a shot. The best way to overthrow a republic or a democracy or a capitalist society is through our smartphones. And you can actually read George Orwell's 1984 because the blueprint is laid out in that book. So we've witnessed a political coup, which means that our elections, our votes don't count. And that was ratified last night when Joe Biden was confirmed as president of the United States. Our votes don't count. Evidence of voter fraud was rampant and widespread. Witnesses who participated in hacking the Dominion voting machines came forward and testified before state legislatures. People who were complicit in bringing out fraudulent votes, votes by dead people, came forward and testified that they participated in voter fraud, all of it ignored, all of it swept away. The courts are not open to the citizens anymore, and we have no recourse in the courts or before our state legislatures, as has been proven, especially in Democrat-run states. And as I've said before, I am not a Republican. I am not a Democrat. I'm not pro-blue or pro-red. I'm pro-truth. I'm pro-justice. I'm pro-morality. I'm pro-honesty. I'm very pro love and compassion. And not a sappy, sentimental kind of love either, but unconditional love. Urgent, intense, unconditional love. And that means holding my neighbors' feet to the fire when they behave in an immoral or unethical way, when they put other people's lives in jeopardy. Because if there's anything that we know for a fact is that the lockdowns due to COVID have caused more deaths than COVID. More people's lives have been ruined irrevocably because of the COVID lockdowns and the guidelines, than COVID itself. that The communist Chinese party infiltrated the West through our smartphones, through our technology, and through COVID. And how our government, the British government, the Scottish and Irish government, other governments, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, weaponized COVID in order to introduce communism writ large into our society. We are no longer the United States of America. We are the People's Republic of America. We are soon to be a communist state, but it won't be a hard communist state, not like Great Britain, not like Scotland and Ireland, which has taken a hard line, authoritarian, totalitarian stance. It'll be a soft totalitarianism, a soft communism in the United States. We will be allowed to do everything that we're doing right now, so long as we sign over our identity, our social identity, our online identity, even our physical identity to the party. And it will take place through our smartphones when Instagram updates their terms of service and Facebook and Twitter. And you give them access to your phone's camera and your phone's GPS so they can track your movements, which they've been doing since at least 2010 anyways. And they give them access to your camera so that they can use facial recognition software to read your face when you stop on a picture on Instagram or dwell over an advertisement on Facebook or you have a smart TV. So they're watching you, watching your TV, again, straight out of 1984. That is how communism will infiltrate America and has infiltrated America. What we are witnessing right now is called a putsch. Look it up. So 2021, in my opinion, will be the year that communism took root and came out of the closet in America. It's been here for 100 years It infiltrated Hollywood in the 50s and academia in the 50s. And it has simply progressed into the public school system since then, into our society through entertainment. And that's why we are where we are today. So COVID, the final tent peg of this crisis. COVID is now a religion. And having a doctorate in church history, having studied other religions extensively over the past 20 plus years, I know how to identify a cult. I know what it looks like, smells like, talks like. I know what religion sounds like. I know what religious zealots sound like and behave like. And COVID is a cult. It is a religion. Hospitals and clinics are temples and churches to COVID. I know this firsthand because I've been in so many as of of late. So one, we experienced a political coup in last year. It's undone the Constitution. It's undone the Republic. Our votes have been proven to no longer count. It's rigged. The grift is in. Both the Democrats and the Republicans are in on it, for the most part. And from now on, every election will be a farce. It will be a foregone conclusion. Not that it hasn't been in the past, but now they don't even have to hide it anymore. So you're going to see the same thing happen every four years. Rioting, chaos, BLM and Antifa or some other group that has a different name, but the same purpose and goal. In the Soviet Union, they were called useful idiots. You'll see them show up remarkably every four years to cause chaos and destruction, to get us all whipped up, get us looking the other way, get us distracted so we don't focus on what really matters. And then the party's next candidate will step up and replace the previous candidate. But it'll be like the who saying. Say hello to the new boss, same as the old boss. And it doesn't matter whether you're red or blue. It's just two wings of the same bird. Communism will spread unabated now throughout our societies, especially in Democrat-run states. Because the Chinese Communist Party is winning. And their campaign is finally proven successful. It's a campaign that's been going for generations now. And lastly, the cult of COVID, the religion of COVID is here to stay. I'm afraid to say that if you think things are going back to normal and masks will go away and distancing will go away, you're a fool and you're lying to yourself, you're willfully ignorant. Masks are never going away now. Distancing, never going away. Vaccines are never going away. Mandatory vaccines are coming. Social credit scores based on your vaccination history are coming. You will not be able to fly go into certain businesses, go to certain public places unless you're vaccinated and you have a card that proves it. And you'll either have a card that you have to carry with you at all times in your wallet and present every time you want to go to a restaurant or go to a sporting event or a concert or get on a plane, or you'll have an app on your phone and you'll have to show on your phone, I've been vaccinated. Look, I have a green instead of a red on my app. How do I know this? Because this is what they do in China. And they've rolled it out in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and places in Europe already. It's coming. And so, to quote Orwell again, those of us who refuse to be vaccinated will be declared unpeople. Those of us who try to speak out on social media will be deleted and canceled. We will become unpeople. We will be labeled unpeople. We will be guilty of thought crimes on social media, we will be guilty of social crimes in public. And we will be marginalized. We will be allowed to go about our lives. We will not be imprisoned or put into re-education camps. Hopefully. Although New York State is already working on that one. Instead, we will simply be disenfranchised and treated as pariahs. We will be the weirdos in the corner. That's what we have to look forward to. Not this year, but from now on. Because we are a weak-willed timid people. And we have become sheep that want to be herded, even if it means being herded over a cliff, so long as we are promised safety and security. And the state has already done this and will continue to march forward with its promise that the state will become our God, that the state will rewrite all of our history, and that we will only exist in the present tense and the state will tell us what we need to know The state will take care of our family, the state will become mommy and daddy, and the state will become our economics, our finances, because those are the 10 pegs of communism. Destroy God and religion, destroy the family, destroy the economy, and destroy history. Do that and you will successfully captivate and oppress a society. It's already underway here. It's been happening for a while now. Now you're going to see it accelerate. They will get rid of God. They will rewrite history. They will make us financially dependent upon the state for all of our needs. And they will destroy the family so that we have to depend on the state to supply those things that are provided for us by mothers and fathers so that our children will grow up like my children have grown up with iPhones. My children don't know a world without Wi-Fi and iPhones. To them, it's just normal to have an iPhone. It's normal for my kids to not have any privacy because they've grown up in a world of social media and the internet where there is no privacy and there's no assumption of privacy. Boomers assume privacy. I remember when people started getting on Facebook when it became popular in the 2010-2012 time frame. And boomers would complain and lament and and cry, but what about our online security? What about privacy? What about getting hacked? And as I made a comment to one boomer, that's like putting a a screen door on a submarine. You going online is you saying, here, here's my information, hack it. It's not as if you're going to get hacked. It's just when you're going to get hacked. There is no assumption of privacy if you're on the internet. Well, now because of the agreements that we signed with big tech, Not only can they hack us, they can just follow us around now and they can listen to us through our phones and they can watch us through our cameras. That's what they do because we've given them permission. Why? Because we love convenience. And the more convenient something is, the more quickly we will give up our claim to autonomy and sovereignty over our bodies, our minds, our souls. So as the state erodes religion, and God erodes our history, erodes the family, erodes the economy, we will agree to it. It will not be a hostile takeover. We will simply agree to it. Whatever we can do to get them to leave us alone, which is to simply give them more and more control over our lives. So what are we going to do then? What can we do? Well, I think we need to go back and focus on the fundamentals. Something that every one of my teachers has said in whatever avenue of research or study I pursued has told me the same thing. Whether I was studying church history or philosophy, whether I was learning how to cook or be a parent, whether I was learning Muay Thai or Jiu-Jitsu, my coaches, my professors, my teachers have always told me the same thing. The fundamentals are the most important thing. Focus on the fundamentals. Because when you are in crisis when you are stressed, when you become emotional, when you're not thinking, you will fall back on the fundamentals. You'll fall back on your habits. And depending on what habits you've developed, you will fall back on bad habits or good habits. I was just talking with my wife before I hit record. It's painful for me now to watch people post videos of themselves training at home. And what I mean by that is when I watch people do kickboxing, for example, or are trying to do uh, jiu or wrestling at home from videos, the jiu-jitsu and the wrestling I'm a little bit more forgiving about because there's a lot of nuances that you just can't pick up on from a video. And if you don't know what you're looking for, you don't know what to look for. And if the person that is the instructor in the video doesn't tell you about certain nuances, you're not going to see them. You're not going to pick up on them. And it's not your fault. But when it comes to kickboxing, which is even more fundamental. This is a kick. This is a punch. Watching people with their chin up and their hands down at their chest, punching out from their chest as if they're doing point karate is painful to watch because they are physically illiterate. They have watched videos. They've watched fights. Someone has instructed them online or maybe even in person. This is where you hold your hands. This is how you stand when you're striking. Chin up, hands at your chest, feet square or slightly apart. That's why I say it's physical illiteracy. It's like functional illiteracy where you read a book but you don't understand what you read. Physical illiteracy is where you watch something or you're instructed to do something but your body doesn't know how to do it correctly or you've been shown how to do it incorrectly. Those people are learning bad fundamentals. And now if they do go to a gym or they do go to a competent striking coach or grappling coach, they're going to have to be broken of all those bad habits, which makes the coach's job speaking from experience that much harder because I can't instruct, you now. you're not a, in the sense of you're, you're not a blank slate. The, my favorite people to instruct are those who come into the gym and say, I have zero experience in martial arts. I don't have any clue what I'm doing. And my response is always, that is fantastic. You're the perfect student. Because you are going to absorb like a sponge everything I have to teach to you and all the other coaches do too. This, by the way, also I think is the benefit of having multiple coaches. Because one coach, great. Maybe he's a black belt. Maybe he's super high level. He's an expert, a master at what he does. Great. That's fine. But to have two or three or four coaches, and then you go from one to two to three to four, and maybe they vary in the way they teach the technique, but the technique itself is the same across those coaches. It affirms for you and reaffirms for you you're being taught correctly. Or the entire gym is wrong. (laughs) Those are your two choices. But it's about fundamentals for me. And yes, fundamentals can be boring because it's rote. And at a certain point you say, you know what, I I know how to do this, I know how to punch, I know how to kick, I know how to shrimp, I know how to do a rear-naked choke. Why do we have to keep drilling these things? Because speaking from experience, when you are in a fight, you fall back on your habits. You are not thinking. If you're in a fight, you're listening to your coach if he's there. And sometimes you even lose track of his or her voice. Because in the moment, it's just you and your opponent. And the adrenaline's up. And there's dopamine pumping and endorphins pumping through your body. And you're so in the moment and you're in a flow state. You're not aware of anything. Not time. Not anything other than the person that's right in front of you. And you fall back on your fundamentals. When I had my first tournament, the first thing that I did is I pulled guard. I went to close guard because that was my habit in the gym when I sparred with people was to jump guard because I didn't know a lot. I was a white belt. So I jumped guard. I'd hold them on my guard. They couldn't submit me. Sure, I couldn't submit them either, but at least I wasn't getting submitted. And so I did that in a tournament and I hand fought with someone for uh, seven minutes and then we had overtime. And I was so exhausted, I lost my second fight. Why did I do that? Because when I got stressed out, it was my first ever tournament, my first ever competition against another person that I didn't know that wasn't a training partner. I was panicky, I was stressed out. I was fearful. I had anxiety. And so I resorted to my habits. The problem was I had this bad habit of jumping guard. So I trained and trained and trained and trained. So in the the next tournament, in the next competition, I wouldn't do that. And that's what you're doing when you compete against other people. It's what you're doing when you spar in the gym. It's what you do when you do technique. You are training the fundamentals, hopefully, over and over and building from them, learning more advanced techniques, learning the nuances of the techniques, improving, working on things like distance management, taking different angles for striking and kicking, understanding how to enter to get a clinch, what to do when you're in the clinch, how to put someone on the ground if it's MMA or simply standing up from wrestling or jujitsu. what to do when you take them down to the ground and how to pass their guard and get top mount or get side control. But all of this stems from the fundamentals. How do you stand? How do you hold your head? What do you do with your hands? Where Do you, do you keep your elbows in? Do you flare them out? How do you move forward and backwards and side to side? How do you close the distance? How do you manage the distance? Fundamentals. How do you throw a punch? How do you throw a kick? A knee, an elbow? How do you hold guard? How do you sweep? How do you retain guard? How do you maintain position so that you can get the submission? These all have to do with fundamentals. And so if you don't focus on the fundamentals, if you don't drill the fundamentals, if you don't fall in love with the fundamentals... Then when you are in a crisis, you will fall back on bad habits. After about a year, year and a half of training movie time, I got fed up with fundamentals. I got so sick of doing drills. It's so sick of one through fours and one through nines. I just got sick of throwing jabs and crosses. I got sick of throwing rear roundhouses. I got sick of throwing the same old knees over and over and over again. I wanted more, but... I wasn't ready. Thought I was ready, but I wasn't. And now, four years later, I love the fundamentals. I can't get enough of fundamentals. If I could teach the fundamentals every single class, I would. It's just that, again, people get bored and complain. Teach me more advanced stuff. Okay, I will. Here we go. <laughs> Prefer, prepare to be humbled. Because it's actually out of the fundamentals that the advanced techniques grow and bloom and bear fruit you cannot do a spinning elbow if you don't first know how to close the distance between yourself and your opponent to throw a spinning elbow if you don't know to keep your chin down (laughs) and you don't know what to do with your hands and you don't know what to do on the ball of your feet and how to step and to turn to throw an effective spinning elbow you're going to fail and you're probably going to get knocked out but if you understand the fundamentals of footwork the fundamentals of distance management, the fundamentals of throwing an elbow, you might be successful. But you have to drill that over and over and over again, hundreds and thousands of times. But it starts with learning how to throw a punch, learning how to step, learning how to stay on the balls of your feet and not go heel to toe. All of these things are fundamental to learning Muay Thai and being effective as a Muay Thai fighter. But people get bored with it because they want something exciting. They want something more provocative and titillating. They want to learn spinning elbows because it's sexy. And they see it in fights and they say, I want to learn how to do that. So if I ever get in a fight, I can throw a spinning elbow. Yeah. Well, no. (laughs) I was just teaching a student this morning, jujitsu. And I was explaining that to him. That if you don't understand the fundamentals and you don't drill the fundamentals, all this other fancy jujitsu stuff it's not going to serve you in a real fight because he wants to learn jiu-jitsu for self-defense, not for sport, which changes up the game a little bit. So I have to teach him standing, but I also have to teach him some clinch work, Uh, Russian collar tie, we call it, reverse collar tie, these kinds of things, the Russian tie. These are all techniques for getting to a position from stand-up, putting your opponent on the ground. But if you don't understand the fundamentals of how to close the distance between you and your opponent, and how to enter into these things, you're going to end up getting hip thrown, swept, choked, whatever it might be. So I said to him, it's new to you now. It's exciting to you now. But after the third, fourth, fifth, seventh, teething time, I drill these takedowns. You're going to say, hey, what else can we learn? What else can we do? You're going to get bored with them. And I'm going to say this to you then again. Focus on the fundamentals because they are the most important thing about this martial art. If you can't do a proper penetration step, then it doesn't matter how many takedowns I teach you. If you don't understand the penetration step, all these other sexy techniques that you do on the ground aren't going to benefit you because you're going to get choked unconscious from your knees or you're going to get kicked in the head, soccer ball style. So let's focus on the fundamentals and drill them so much that when you finally roll with me in a sparring round, you're prepared. Fundamentals are, in my opinion, the most important part of learning anything, any discipline. They're the most important thing in life itself, whether it be your relationships, your job, your hobbies, your life pursuits. It's the fundamentals that matter most. And I think we too often forget this because we get bored with the fundamentals, like I said, and we focus on other things. But when I was in school, way, way back in the day, we had social studies and civics. We had U.S. history. I had to learn how to read a newspaper and critically think. I had to learn how to write an essay based on what I read. I had to know my state's history. I had to take an economics class and an accounting class. I had to understand personal finances. I had to understand checking accounts and saving accounts. I had to understand bonds, stocks. CDs, all that stuff. I was expected to know that because I was expected to be a good citizen of the United States. And so fundamental to that in the public school system anyways was to be a good citizen, you have to learn civics and social studies. You have to learn history. You have to learn about economics. You have to learn political science. You need these things to be socially literate, to be a good citizen so that when you're in society and you've got the fundamentals under your belt, you can function as a good citizen. But now, since we decided to homeschool last year, primarily based on the utter lack of fundamentals being taught to my children by the public school system, that their civic class, their social studies classes were exercises in activism. My daughter was taught Marxism. She was taught social justice. She was taught, what else? (laughs) A whole bunch of stuff. It was very interesting, the kinds of assignments that she would bring home. Her civics teacher assigned the class a book from 1941 to explain misogyny, to which I said to my daughter, in 1941, I could spank your mother for disagreeing with me. I could slap her across the face and everyone would say, yeah, she had that coming. So of course, by today's standards, everyone in 1941, every man is a misogynist. Your teacher is being dishonest because he's not acknowledging to you what he's really doing. That he's teaching you his politics rather than teaching you civics and teaching you how to be a good citizen. He's teaching you to be ashamed of where you come from and who you are. And she was socially shamed for being a Christian at school. She was socially shamed for what, you know, they called her a conservative because she was all about personal accountability and responsibility. And she trains martial arts and couldn't go show up for certain things because during the year you have certain Christian holidays like Lent or Advent or Christmas or Easter And she just said flat out on her own without myself or my wife prompting her, these are important to me. These are my priorities and I'm not going to change that for you. And she was just the oddball because she wasn't medicated on antidepressants and she had a mother and a father at home. And so we saw that and so we pulled her. We pulled all of them and decided to homeschool because I want my kids to grow up to be good citizens. And I want them to understand what that means, what the word good means, like I talked about on the Kevin Ross episode uh, this past Sunday. But what does it mean to be socially good? What does it mean to be a citizen of the United States? How does one behave as a citizen and a good citizen? Well, you need to know history. You need to know civics. You need to understand the government and how it works or doesn't. You need to understand how society works financially and economically. You need to understand other political systems like socialism, communism, anarchism, even monarchicalism, all of the utilitarianism, all of these different political ideologies, all the different ways that countries have been run over the years. This is important if you want to be an informed, literate citizen, in my opinion. And so I think the reason that society is in such chaos is, as I remarked earlier, for at least five or six generations, really the past 100 years, Communism has been infiltrating academia and Hollywood, and therefore what we watch on TV, what we see on the movie screen or on the radio or through our earbuds, what the kids are being taught in public schools is, it's got a trajectory to it. It's got an ideology wrapped around it, and we're starting to see now the fruit of that. And so we're we're raising our children through the public school system and by exposing them to entertainment, not to be good citizens of the United States, um, to be members of a republic, but in my opinion, to be good communists, good Marxists. And so to be a good citizen, I think you have to teach the fundamentals of what it means to be a good citizen, which means you also got to include moral philosophy in that, which they don't teach at school, along with all the other things they don't teach. So when I came then here to this congregation 14 years ago, there were 20 people left in the church. And they had zero dollars in the bank and they were ready to close. And they sent me straight from the seminary, straight from my PhD program to serve here as the pastor. So I had all of this book knowledge, thousands of books in my library. I'd written my dissertation, basically a book, written pages and pages of, of research papers, blogs, articles, been a teaching assistant for a number of years. Traveled all over the United States speaking at different conferences. And I thought, I know how to be a pastor. I just came from a seminary. I just sat at the feet of these professors who taught people every day how to be pastors. I know what a pastor is. Then I got here, and nothing that I had been taught prepared me to serve this congregation. Because everything I had been taught at seminary was how to serve a functional congregation with money in the bank and butts in the pews. And that was at least semi-functional. And when I got to my congregation that I, I still serve... None of that was in place. There was no infrastructure. There was no budget. They didn't even pay the bills as far as like heating and electric and stuff like that goes regularly. So when I showed up for the interview, there were two space heaters turned on in the Bible study room because they couldn't afford to turn the furnace on during the week. They turned it on on Sundays for church and that was it. And I quickly realized that first year that I served this congregation that if it wasn't going to shut down, I had to figure out the fundamentals, the fundamentals of the faith, the fundamentals of this church, its personality, the fundamentals of worship, the fundamentals of piety. I had to reteach myself and break myself. Not, I don't want to call them bad habits because I, I do think what I learned was useful, but the way in which I was taught was not applicable to the context that I was sent into. So I had to reverse engineer my whole education at the seminary to fit the needs of my congregation. So I had to pull everything back, strip everything away and say, okay, I've got the chassis now. Now what is necessary for this vehicle to move forward? What is necessary for this congregation to move forward? And then over the last 14 years, it's just been a constant stripping away And asking the why question. Why do we do this? Why is this a tradition? Why is this our ritual? Why do I preach this way? Why do I teach this way? Why do I engage in pastoral care this way? Why do I interface with people this way? Why did he say that? Why did she do this? Is this a relevant point? Is it a vital point? Or is it irrelevant? Is it completely off the wall and out in left field? Is it just crazy and I just need to be kind and then, you know, pack it away in the circular vial? The only way for me to be able to process all of that and interface with as, num- as many people as I interface with now on a weekly basis, which is in the hundreds and sometimes even the thousands, is by sticking to the fundamentals. What are the fundamentals of my confession of the faith? What are the fundamentals of the faith as laid down by my holy book, my scripture? What does it mean to be a Christian and why? What does it mean to worship as a Christian and why? What does it mean to believe in God and Why? And by sticking to the fundamentals, then when I'm stressed or anxious, when I don't quote unquote, have the right answer, or I don't know how to respond, I can say, Hey, I respect the question and I understand where you're coming from, but could you give me a day or two to think about it and, and really think on it, chew on it, formulate an answer to you so I can give you a good answer to your question or say, you know what? I don't know. I don't have an answer to your question. I have thought about it though, and I, I don't know what to say. Or maybe we need to research this together. Maybe we need to sit down and think about this some more together. But only by sticking to the fundamentals of my faith, the fundamentals of my job, my vocation, can I go off on these different tangents and have, again, more advanced conversations, more complex conversations, more nuanced conversations. You don't recognize the nuances if you don't know what you're looking for. But you won't know what to look for if you're not committed to sticking to the fundamentals. And building up from there. And so 14 years later, the congregation that was going to close out a year after I got here is still here. Are we little? Still little. Not as little as we were, though. Are we poor? We're still poor, but we have more than zero dollars in the bank. Are we ever going to grow and become rich? I hope not. (laughs) There's many temptations that come with growth and with wealth. And I don't believe, this is my opinion, but I don't believe that churches should have extra money in the bank. I don't believe that churches should be run like franchises, like a Chick-fil-A or a Starbucks. A church is a place for people to come and receive mercy, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, to receive the forgiveness of sins, to receive comfort and hope. It is not a money-making scheme. And I believe that a church that has extra money should give it away to the soup kitchen, to the women's shelter, to Habitat for Humanity, to some local charity, whatever it may be. I just, I'm not a fan of big box churches. I'm not a fan of, of wealthy churches. The kind of, you know, pray for it and God will give it to you if your intent is pure kind of churches. I'm very much on the way of, or in the way of following the teachings of Jesus, actually. <laughs> And recognizing that the church was never meant to be big or wealthy, that it was always meant to be a reflection of its creator, of its savior, which means persecuted, mocked and ridiculed, put upon, oppressed, poor and humble, never appreciated by the world. And so I don't I don't go in for the pageantry, I don't go in for the um, Joel Osteen method of of. The, the gospel of prosperity. Stick to the fundamentals. It'll keep you humble. It'll keep things simple. It allows you to recognize when you're being tempted and it keeps you from getting ahead of yourself. And then lastly, when, with regards to fundamentals, I think I've talked about this before, but, you know, I walked into an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting at St. Rose of Lima Roman Catholic Church in St. Paul, Minnesota in 1998. What was it? October 5th, 1998. And I learned the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, and then I was introduced to the big book and other um, resources that gave me tools to manage my sobriety, to work a program of sobriety, develop a program for myself so that I could live sober. Those 12 steps are the fundamentals within AA. Those are the fundamentals of sobriety. You work these 12 steps, sometimes work one step, and you'll be sober. You'll stay sober. You try and cut corners. You try and take a shortcut. You try and hack these 12 steps. You're going to fall off the wagon. You might not drink or use, but you're not going to be sober. We call it stinking thinking. The fundamentals of sobriety are the most important part of sobriety. You can go off and read other resources. You can go to different kinds of meetings. You can pursue different avenues of sobriety. I know I have. But I always come back to the fundamentals, those 12 steps, admitting that I was powerless over alcohol, admitting that I needed a power greater than myself to restore me to sanity and sobriety, doing fearless moral inventories, making amends, taking the message of Alcoholics Anonymous to others. On and on it goes. But over the years, I've become more nuanced in my understanding of my own sobriety and sobriety in general. And I've taken up martial arts because it's another tool in my tool belt in my program of sobriety. And I've been pleasantly pleased and not so much surprised, but just pleasantly pleased at what a significant role martial arts has played in helping me maintain my sobriety over the years. Recently, anyways. But still, I focus on the fundamentals. So I don't become addicted to martial arts or addicted to religion or addicted to my wife and kids or addicted to the next thing that, that piques my interest. I stick to those fundamentals so that over the years then, like I said, as I become more nuanced in my approach and my understanding of my own sobriety, my own addictions... I've also recognized that I no longer care about how many days I've been sober. The only date that matters to me, as far as that goes, is October 5th, 1998. That's my first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. It's the day that I took responsibility for my sobriety. And today, just today, because I can look back at the past 20 plus years, and there there have been many days that I can say I wasn't sober. In fact, I can say I wasn't sober yesterday afternoon because the things that were happening at the Capitol, the things that were happening with bills at home and and pre-op appointments and COVID guidelines that I had to abide by just so I could get in the clinic and get the appointment and the stress and anxiety of the COVID test because if the COVID test doesn't get to the hospital before Monday, they won't allow me to have my surgery. There's a lot of stress and anxiety around this. Add that, then add to that, what was happening politically in our country and just the noise on social media. And so I started posting all of these memes about people at the Capitol and how they were confirmed Antifa and these weren't Trump supporters and blah, blah, blah. It's a coup and this is all a false flag psyop. And I woke up this morning at 4.30 and I deleted all of them because it's not whether they were true or false. It's not whether I was sincere or not when I posted them. It's rather that in the moment... I allowed myself to be displaced and I wasn't working my program of sobriety. And so I behaved in a way that for me was not indicative of my sobriety, my program of sobriety. And so other people may look at those memes and judge me one way or the other. I don't care. That's not the point. The reason I deleted them is because they reminded me, yeah, for about three hours yesterday, you weren't sober. You weren't behaving soberly. You weren't thinking soberly. You were not working your program. So what do I do on October 5th this year when I say, hey, I've been sober X number of years? Well, what about that one time in January when you weren't sober for three or four hours and you were just going crazy on social media posting memes? Oh, you're right. I I haven't been sober the whole time. And you can create this kind of hamster wheel of failure because you're up, you're down, you're up, you're down, you're sober, you're not sober, you're sober, oh, I, there was that one time where I said that thing, well, I, you know, I wasn't working my program when we did that. It can become self-defeating, kind of like New Year's resolutions in a certain sense, or going on a diet. So rather than live that way, I've chosen a more nuanced path, I guess, to, to use an analogy to work my program of sobriety, which is to not cut corners, to not look for shortcuts or a hack, but rather to recognize there's going to be moments when I'm not sober, hours that I'm not sober, maybe days and weeks that I'm not sober. Just because I'm not drinking and using doesn't mean that I'm not sober or that I am sober. What matters in the present tense is recognizing for me, I'm sober right now and I'm focused on working my program of recovery right now. And that's what matters most is learning from those moments, in my opinion, and recognizing, I got to walk this back. I have to delete this. I have to censor myself. I have to cancel myself. I need to ask for forgiveness for this, that I said, or what I did. Because in that moment, I wasn't sober. I wasn't behaving soberly, but I can only do that again. If I have the fundamentals underneath me, if I have that foundation to walk on, they anchor me in place. They give me a sense of location. So whether it is being a good citizen in society, whether it's serving my congregation as a pastor, whether it's living a sober life, all of those things, martial arts, father, husband, worker, neighbor, for me, they all come back to the fundamentals of what's the point of this? Why why am I doing this? And how can I do this in such a way that I'm doing it the best that I'm capable of right now in the present tense? And recognize that my best will never be good enough. I'll always have something to repent of after the fact. Hindsight is twenty twenty. That's why it's a cliche, because it's true. And yet, can I recognize when I've stepped off the path? Can I recognize when I've gone off into left field, when I've done or said something that is inappropriate to my office, to my relationships with other people, to just betraying myself and the standards that I've set for myself? For me, the fundamentals are what keep me on the right path so that when I do slip, when I do give into temptation, I recognize, oh, okay, I messed up, I slipped, I wasn't working my program, I got to walk this back and figure out where I went wrong. And I'm not ashamed of that. There's nothing embarrassing or regrettable about re- recognizing that you made a mistake or you screwed up. You developed a bad habit. You made a bad decision. You, you gave into temptation and sinned. Walk it back. Because if you walk it back far enough, you'll find out where you went wrong, and that's where you'll also find forgiveness. That's where you'll find mercy. So for you then listening, I hope that if you got lost in the mix somewhere along the way, if you got confused and, and mixed up and went off into left field, you lost the thread, you walked off the path, that this helps give you something to think about, and maybe you can kind of walk back yourself and figure out where you went wrong, or the opposite, what you've been doing right, and then how to continue on that path. But I really do think, especially right now, with the way the trajectory of society, the trajectory of politics and law in this country, the trajectory of our culture, and just individuals, because of the political coup that has been successful because of the cult of COVID, the religion of COVID that has captivated the world because of the communist Chinese campaign to spread communism through into the West in particular, which is being very successful. If we don't function, function, if we don't focus on the fundamentals of what it means to be a good citizen, what it means to be a good neighbor, a good Christian, or whatever your faith is, being... Sober, not just for those who are actual drug and alcoholics, drug addicts and alcoholics, but to be sober in your thoughts, to be sober in how you interface and process your interactions with other people. Be sober in your decision-making and in your speech. I think that's, again, fundamental, sorry, pardon the pun, but I think it's fundamental because if you have a solid foundation to work from, then you can learn more advanced techniques. You can think in nuance. You can learn to recognize stuff that you missed before. So it's no longer just gross motor movements, but it becomes more elegant, more finessed, more efficient. And then you can move through society and then you can function in your family or at work or at the gym or wherever it may be in a way that you come away satisfied and the people you interface with come away satisfied. But if we don't focus on the fundamentals, if we get bored with the fundamentals and want more, and we want something that's titillating or provocative, hyperbolic, we're going to be constantly chasing the next fad, the next big thing. We're going to let other people think for us and tell us how to behave and how to feel because we've lost our moorings. We've lost our anchor. We're not standing on a firm foundation anymore. So whether it's faith, whether it is society whether it's your own personal care. Focus on the fundamentals. Focus on the fundamentals. They will get you through the storm. Otherwise, that's all I got today. So thank you for listening. Thank you for all that you do to support the podcast. Thank you for fighting. Thank you for holding the line for the rest of us. Otherwise, I will talk to you again on Sunday. So thank you as always. And uh, love you, weirdos. Talk to you soon. Peace.